So good morning, y'all. My name is uh, Ed Griffinhagen. I'm one of the pastors on our staff at Church on the Trail. And again, I say this every week. I'm thankful that y'all are here. It's not an accident. Didn't sneak up on God. He's ordained for us to be together this morning, physically here or whether you're watching online, whatever the case may be. He's not a purposeless God. He, he does things with intention, and I believe that we're together with his intention. Um, and you know, we have been walking through for about a year the, the book of Acts. Luke's, Luke penned uh, this book. It's like the second volume uh, right after the gospel according to Luke. Acts is like volume two of that. And, uh, and so we've been walking through that. And we started chapter 16 last week, and it's Paul's second missionary journey. And we, we, we talked in depth, if you remember last week, we talked about evangelism. And in fact, we talked about what evangelism looked like, this, the, maybe even the process of evangelism, what it looked like when it's done right, when it's done biblically, when it's done according to Scripture, what are the foundational principles that lay um, and undergird evangelism. And we said that when it's done right, it's got to have the right passion, the right passion, it's got to have the right people. We said that the preparation's got to be right. We said the message has got to be on point. The message has got to be right. And the, the priorities, the, the pecking order has got to be appropriate and got to be right. And, and I think one of the things that, that we should have seen, um, both of us, that we should have noticed, we should have seen in that message in those first five verses of chapter 16 is, is God's sovereignty in it all that he is this grand kind of chess master, that he's the orchestrator uh, of all of life, and nothing is by accident. There's not any just so happens. He is weaving a story together that, that began before the foundation of the world. And so we talked about those five, four or five foundational principles last week. Today we're going we're gonna to look at, we're going to walk through, we're going to talk through the what I think is the last wheel in this spoke of evangelism when it's done right, and, and that is the place. We've got to have the right place. We've got to have the right geography, the right location, because God has a plan. God has a, a design. He's got this design of how to get done what he wants to get done, and we get to play a role in all of that. We as, as followers, we get to play a role in that. And, and, and when it's done right, it's not really for, uh, for us to try to bring him into our plan. It's for us to listen to him and to listen to his will and, and to try to discern his will, which I'm not going to stand here and say how, that, like that's easy, but it is for us to discern his will and to recognize his will for our lives and and to do the very best we can to be obedient to his leading. He's the commander. He is the, 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 the commander, and the, his mission for us is clear. His intent is clear. It's really clear, and it's simple. It's just go lead people to me. Get her done. It is, it is like LGOPS. Anybody ever heard that term, LGOPS? It's on the screen. The rule of LGOPS. Raise your hand if you've ever heard that or ever at the Vegas Tide. You have. I hear you. You know, after the, the demise of the, the very best airborne plan, there's this most terrifying effect that occurs on a battlefield. 
And that effect is known as the rule of LGOPs. And LGOPs stands for little groups of paratroopers. And in, this, in, its, in its purest form, it is small groups of, of let's say, very angry 19-year-old American paratroopers. And they're well-trained, and they're armed to the teeth, and they lack any serious adult supervision. <laughs> but but y'all, here's what they do. Collectively, they remember the commander's intent. And the commander's intent is to march to the sound of the guns and kill anybody that's not dressed like you, or something like that. Y'all, it's LGOPs, little groups of paratroopers. So... Last week, y'all, we talked about evangelism, and the commander's intent is at the very core of evangelism. You may even, really, you may even say that, that the commander's intent is the core of all evangelism. Today, it is about the where, the where. If you come out of our parking lot and you, you, uh, you head south on Flat Rock Road, you get up to J.R. Allen, and you want to turn right onto J.R. Allen Parkway, you got to merge into the traffic. And in order for you to merge into the traffic on J.R. Allen, you got to slow down and you got to look behind you. You got to pay attention to the rest of the cars coming down the, the highway. And they're going to be they're going to be barreling down the highway, barreling down that road, and you are the one that's got to merge into the traffic. Not that they don't have to merge into you, you got to merge into them. They're really in control of that road. You're not in control of the road. You merge onto the highway because it's the most direct route to get you to wherever it is that you need to go. Many of us, when we get on the on-ramp, we want to have traffic stop for us to let us on, but that's not the way it works. God is going somewhere, and he is the main highway. And he wants us to merge with him and his program. He's not trying to stop his program to merge into your life. You and me got to merge into his plan. He's not about to try to merge into your life. That's not the way it works. That's kind of upside down. We got to be willing to submit to his will and, and his direction and his intent, and we've got to notice and recognize and, and discern his intent. So we're going to see how all of that kind of plays out with our mission team of Paul and Silas and Timothy as they begin to head west we're gonna on this second missionary journey. And so we're going to be in Acts 16. We're going to be starting in, um, in verse 6. And in verse 6 and 7, and if you don't have a worship, if you don't have a worship guide, please raise your hand because you need a worship guide and a map. So it looks like everybody's got them. So what we see first is the step-by-step -step leading of the Holy Spirit. We see the, the, the leading of the Holy Spirit. Verse 6 says, and they, and they, who is they? They is, is Paul and Timothy and Silas. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mesia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. And so if you look at that map that you got there, this is not like some geography glass, but what you're going to see as we look at this map kind of through today's message, you are going to see God's sovereign hand like it's crazy to watch what he does. 
And so if you look at that map about midway vertically, north and south, uh, and a little bit towards the right, you're going to see Derby and Lystra and Iconium, and yeah, I've got them circled up there. Um, and, it, and, it, and that's where they were. And then it looks like now they are apparently are staying in Pisidian Antioch, in Antioch of Pisidia, which you see on that map a little bit to the west and a little bit north of Iconium in the region of Galatia, and that is that southern Galatia. And Galatia wraps up around uh, to the northeast, but they're in southern Galatia. And it looks like, if you look at what they're doing and where they came from, that they're heading, it looks like they're heading due west to preach the gospel in Asia, which, by the way, is not, it doesn't refer to the continent of Asia. Today, it was a Roman province that was called Asia. Today, that's modern-day Turkey. That whole area that says Asia is modern-day Turkey. So this, what you have is this picture of, of them. They're sitting in Antioch of Pisidia, and Paul is dreaming, and Paul is, is planning, and he's planning to penetrate Asia for Christ. That's the plan. They're heading straight west. They came from, um, from, uh, from Syrian Antioch, and they're moving west. And it looks like they're heading straight into Asia to penetrate it, to, to preach the gospel in Asia. But the Holy Spirit drops down a wall. The Holy Spirit drops down, closes its door, and he restrains them, and he forbids them from going into Asia. And by doing that, by saying no to Asia, you can see on the map that that turns them, it, it turns them north. You see that line starting over there. That's their track. And so when the, when the Holy Spirit says no to Asia, it kind of turns them and it eased them up north. One of the things, among probably many, that you notice on this journey, and you really noticed it on the first uh, journey as well, you really notice it about Paul's life, is they never stop moving. They never stop moving. They never stop. Just because the Holy Spirit dropped down a wall, closed a door, they didn't stop. They just kept going. They kept moving but then now they move in a little bit of a, of a different direction. And now it looks like they're heading up into Bithynia, which is north. You see up at the very top, they're heading up into Bithynia, which is north of, a little north of, of Galatia. They're going there to penetrate that area for the gospel. They got to this area when they're heading up north called Mesia. And you see Mesia kind of to the, I've got it circled. And Mesia really runs across the northern part of Asia all the way over to where the crook, the, the left turn is in their travels. And so they're heading up north. They get to the Mesia kind of county line, the line between Asia and Mesia. They got to that area. Verse 7 says, now you're not, go, you're not crossing that line either. You're not going up into Bithynia. So did they stop? No, they didn't stop. They didn't stop. They kept moving. But now they moved in the only direction that they could move, and that is due west, straight west. The Holy Spirit funnels them into this little corridor between Asia and Mesia. And that's exactly where the Lord wanted them to be. That area, that little corridor is probably about 10 miles wide, north and south, and it's probably about 200 miles east and west. It's this little corridor, and, and, and the Holy Spirit got them there. And I don't know what that whole area is, probably 
40, 50,000 square miles, and they end up in this little corridor, and it's straight to move and walk and, and journey straight west. But the stress here, y'all, is it's on the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And he led them step by step through restraint, through, through shutting doors. The Spirit didn't come right out and tell Paul exactly what he was to do. When he was down there in Pisidian Antioch, the Holy Spirit didn't say, I want you to go to Troas. No, he didn't. They started moving, and the Holy Spirit guided them to where he wanted. And that's not just not the way he did it. He shut doors. He drops down walls. He restrains. He tugs at Paul's heart to move in a different direction than where Paul wanted to go, a different direction than where Paul was heading. Remember now, we're talking about when evangelism's done right, we're talking about being in the right place, and it's foundational for us to be in the right place. So in really simple terms, the Holy Spirit stopped Paul from following through with Paul's plans and ending up in the wrong place. And so when I look at that, I mean, I, I notice several things probably. Paul's plans were important. Your plans are important. Paul planning was important. The great cities of Asia, they needed to be reached for Christ. And if you look at some of the names of those cities, you will notice they are the names of the seven churches in the book of Revelation. I'm not going down that ditch right now because we'll be here for three hours. The point is, those, those cities in Asia, they needed to be reached for Christ, but Paul's timing was wrong. And they would be reached for Christ, but it just would be out in the future, three, four, five, six years later. And the Lord didn't give Paul or Timothy or Silas, didn't give them a reason for rejecting the plans. We always want to know the reason. Why, God? Why'd you do this? Why'd you do that? May, y'all, maybe we don't need to know. Maybe it's not for us to know. Maybe, I don't want this to sound harsh, maybe it's none of our business. Maybe he just wants us to listen to him, to back up, take a breath, and just listen to him and stop. And, and, and I'm the chief whiner about why. Why? Well, I want to know why. Why you want me to do this? Why you want me to do that? And a lot of times I think, through the pages of Scripture, he just tells me, stop whining and just do and go where I'm telling you to go. In this case, merely doors were clearly shut by the Holy Spirit. Matter of fact, they were all closed until Paul could only go in one direction. And that was straight west down this little corridor to Troas. And you know, God is the only one who knew the reason that he wasn't supposed to preach in Asia, at least yet. Maybe there were lay people witnessing all over the place, and, and God was using their Jesus stories, all these people all over Asia, to get the folks there ready to hear what Paul would have to say three, four years later. I don't know. Maybe the people just simply weren't ready to hear the gospel. You know, everybody ain't ready to hear the gospel. Maybe they weren't in a pit deep enough yet. You know, sometimes... Folks got to be in the bottom, bottom, bottom of the deepest pit of despair before they will even listen to one word that you have to say. Maybe they weren't there yet. Like, I don't, I don't know. Maybe some opposition to Paul or Paul and Timothy and something. Maybe some opposition had to be removed. Maybe, uh, maybe, 
maybe there was harm. Somebody was there waiting to kill Paul. You know, there was a lot of people didn't weren't that crazy about Paul. So, like, I really, the potential reasons could go on and on. I really don't know why. Scripture doesn't tell us why. The point to see out of this is that God knows best. It's often that we think we know best. We want to arm wrestle with God and arm wrestle control away from him. But, but he knows best. He knew the whole situation. He could see everything that was all, all that was going on all at the same time. You and I, and again, I'm not saying it's easy, but we have got to trust his leadership. And we've got to listen for his leadership. And we've got to see what's, what's going on in our lives that is in line with his leadership. We got to know his intent. And his intent is so clear in Scripture. We got to trust him. And we got we to trust when the doors close. And we got to trust when the doors open. And we got to trust that it's him that's opening and closing those doors. It's him that's plopping a wall down in front of us. Y'all, there's a book. Um, the name of the book is Tell Me Again, Lord, I Forget. What a great title of a book. Like, tell me again, Lord, I forget. The lady's name that wrote it, her name is Ruth Calkin, and she said this. I think it's on the screen. She said, Lord, day after day, I thanked you for saying yes, but when have I genuinely thanked you for saying no? Yet I shudder to think of the possible smears and blots on my life had you not been sufficiently wise to say no. You got to know that uh, doors will shut. And that doesn't mean you're supposed to stop and play video games. It doesn't mean you're supposed to stop and curl up in the bed in depression. No, there's a reason. There's a reason. And we got to know that it's, that it's God doing it, closing a door or opening a door. It's interesting, too, that we don't know, Scripture doesn't tell us, how the Holy Spirit communicated to Paul and his guys that they shouldn't go into Asia. Doesn't tell us. Could have been through a prophet. Could have been through a vision, could have been through some inner conviction that the Lord put in one or all of them. Could have been some other circumstance, Scripture doesn't say. But I tell you this, to know God's will does not mean that we need to, should, or must hear His audible voice, like sound waves that enter your ear and mess with those little teeny bones in your ear and you hear His audible voice. It's not what it means. It's not at all. Usually doesn't happen that way. It's never happened that way for me. But to know God's will, to seek God's will, to know his will, to to metaphorically to hear his voice, open up his word. This, This book is the primary way that he communicates with us today. I've never heard the audible voice, but I've met with him and I've gazed upon his face in the pages of his word. Often, if I want to figure out what I'm supposed to do, one of the primary ways is I get in and I dig into his word. And I make sure that I make sure that my plan, whatever my plan may be, is that it's in line with his word. Because if my plan is in contradiction to his word, then my plan is wrong. But I dig in, and I study, and I read, and I seek him 
in his word. I ask other mature believers for their advice and for their counsel. You want to hear from him? Talk to his people. You want to hear from him? Check your motives. Are you looking to do what you want to do? Or are you looking to do what you believe he wants you to do? That's a huge one. I have a propensity to get in front of him and go knock a wall down or something. It ain't right. It ain't right. I got to take a breath, back up, back up, and try to get in Scripture, try to talk to, to fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. I got to check my motive. Is, is it for me is, or is it for him? And then obviously you pray fervently that he would open doors and that he would shut doors. And not just that he would open doors and shut doors, y'all, but that we would recognize the door being shut and that it was him that was doing it. And then we got to keep moving. You keep moving and you may be inclined to just curl up in the bed in anxiety and depression maybe and, and because you don't know what to do because, because you just haven't heard from him. You haven't heard his voice in your ear. He hasn't shown me yet. And so, therefore, you do nothing. I would say don't do that. Just get up and do something in his service, not just some random thing, but get up and keep moving and do something in his service and trust that he will, he will move you to where you need to be. So it's this first thing is this step-by-step leadership of the Holy Spirit, number one. Number two is this. We see this in starting in verse 8, this clear call of the Holy Spirit. Verse 8 says, so passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. Some of your translations, rather than saying urging, may say crying out to, screaming out to. So if you look at your map again, you're going to see that they take this straight shot down this laurel, little corridor down to Troas. They, they wiggle down the line between Mysia and Asia. Again, Paul just kept going. He just kept going. He didn't allow walls falling down and closed doors to, to discourage him, to stop him, to, to throw him into, into despair. Despite the restraint, Paul knew that he was called, and Timothy and Silas as well, to preach and to teach and to minister. They were passionate about it, and they, and they kept after it. They were being obedient to the Great Commission. Y'all, they were being obedient to Jesus' last words. And they were waiting, and they were trusting in the Lord to give them some positive instructions in the Lord's timing. Because most all of the leading so far has been through restraint and through doors closing. I know I've been there, learning through pain. Pain is a good teacher, is it not? Raise your hand if you've ever learned anything through pain. It's a huge teacher, right? But sometimes you're like, okay, Lord, I get it. I get it. I've bled. You know, I've had surgery on my shoulder and my knee. Okay, I get it. Give me something positive. I know I've prayed that prayer. And hopefully it led me into being obedient to what he says. And, but, but you had Paul being led through the closed door and Timothy and Silas being led through these closed doors. And it is important, y'all, that, that he trusted and he was waiting for something positive 
and he didn't get discouraged, and they didn't get discouraged because if they'd allowed the closed doors to shut him down, then the great call that he was about to receive would never happen. He could have very easily been lost to history right then and there. For you and I as believers, we should never, ever, 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 ever be discouraged by closed doors. Never. God is the one that closes the door. If you trust him, he's the one that closes the door. And when he does it, it's for probably one of two main reasons. Number one, it's probably to protect you. Probably to protect you from something you didn't even know existed and probably will never know existed. Y'all get that? He loves you. And you are in a relationship with him. And he wants to protect you. And I'm going to say 99% of the time you have no idea that you're even being protected when you're being protected, number one. The second reason is maybe, maybe the door shut to open up maybe an even greater opportunity for you. But I'm not going to put a period there and say a greater opportunity for you. I'm going to say a greater opportunity for you as his servant. It's not about you. It's about him. And so he may be shutting that door to provide a greater opportunity for you to serve him. He's the one that sees the future. He alone is the one that sees the future. He alone is the one that that knows everything that's going on. He knows everything that is going to go on, everything that is happening everywhere. He can see it all kind of at the same time. So he alone knows when you need to be protected, and he alone knows when when you need to be nudged somewhere. Y'all know that word nudge? That's a Yiddish word, a combination of Hebrew and German, I think. But he's the one that knows when you need to be nudged a little bit somewhere. And now Paul knows absolutely that he's called to Europe because they're now they're heading in this narrow little path this narrow little pathway straight towards Europe God gives him this vision of this dude in Macedonia and this guy really is crying out for help and the man cries out help us help us is plural so it was this vision this image of this man who really represents all of Europe crying out and begging Paul to come and help the entire European continent. And it was a cry of, of, of despair and, and there was desperation in it. And that desperation, that cry, it really would break the heart. It really would stir up the heart, I'm going to say, of, of any authentic evangelist. And that's what they were. Any minister of the gospel that would stir up their heart, I must say that any Christ follower that would hear that, it would stir up the heart. And that must, for for these guys, for Paul, because he's the one that had the vision, that must have been such a striking scene in his mind. I don't imagine that he ever, ever, ever would have forgotten that. And you and I should never forget that. When I read in verse 9, this Macedonian man crying out for help, what I, what I hear in my head and what I believe that Paul heard and saw is several things. I think he saw that and heard that the entire world is wide open, that souls are, are ready and they're crying out for help. He saw and heard that the harvest is ripe. 
when I see it and I hear it, I hear that the, it's the heart, that our, that our hearts got to be stirred up for the Lord. And they got to be stirred up now. The time is now. Re- revival is needed now. Like right now. There's a great need. I hear that, that the need is great. Just looking, look I'm not a, a Eeyore walking around with a cloud over my head, but just look at the world. Just look, just look at what's going on. Don't tell me that the need is not now. The need is now. We need revival. We try to plug everything into our lives to fix the brokenness other than the one who can fix the brokenness. And so the need is now, and we need the winds and the fires of revival to sweep across this country. It's not just one man or one woman who needs help. Think about this. All of Macedonia, all of the European continent, all of the the entire planet is in need of Christ. Everybody is. I believe that Paul heard and and felt and the impression in his mind was that this whole thing has got to be long-lasting, that it's got to be passed down from generation to generation until the whole world is reached for Christ. I think he heard that the, the great mission to the world in Matthew 28, the great commission, your Bible calls it, is the call of the body of Christ. It is the call of the church. The church has got to go. And I'm not talking about the building's got to get up and walk out into the streets. That's not the church. You're the church. The body of believers for all time is the church, and the call is for the church to go, and the call is for the church to go now. If the church doesn't go and go now, then the need won't be met. Y'all get that? God chose in his sovereignty, maybe arguably even before Pentecost, but at Pentecost when the church is born in Acts 2, the marching orders are given, the commander's intent is given, go tell the world. God chose his church to be the vehicle in his sovereignty. He chose the church to be the vehicle that he decided to use to go tell the world about him. And so the need is for the church to do that. Paul recognized in this moment, and, and I am super deeply moved to understand that the cry of the world is desperate, that the need is now. So the response, and we're going to see this, the response has got to be quick. The, the response has got to be immediate. We can't be wasting time. A slow, wandering, um, aimless route can't be taken. You know, wandering aimlessly through life is not what God would have for us. He would not. Waiting on the Lord to audibly speak in your ear and tell you to do something is not what he would have for us to do. Jesus, the commander... Matthew 28, he says to go, to go make disciples. And the language there, it's, in, it's emphatic. It's a command. It's now. When he says go, it's a command. And he says go, 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 and go now. Matthew records that. Mark in chapter 16 records the, the command to go into the world and to preach the risen Christ. Luke in his gospel, chapter 24 He says that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in the name of Jesus to all nations. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they all have this. We are to be like 
We're like to be Jesus' press secretary. The press secretary of the White House has one job, and that is to be the spokesman, the spokeswoman for the president. What he or she thinks as the press secretary really is not so relevant. Agree with the president or don't agree with the president, not super relevant. His job is to speak on behalf of the president, period. And then, and only then, he should be ready, he or she should be ready to answer questions, to take questions. It's just like us. First Peter 3.15, it tells us, Peter writes this, we ought to be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks us for the reason that we have hope inside of us. We ought to be prepared. You got the hope inside of you? Then you need to be prepared to defend where it came from. All of us need to be able to do that. So there's this clear call of the Holy Spirit in verses 8 and 9, and then the strong conviction of the Spirit's call in verse 10. Verse 10 says, And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So what happens in verse 10 is pretty instructive for us. Paul discusses the vision with three people, Silas and Timothy and Luke. And you say, where did Luke come from? I thought Luke was the one that wrote the book of Acts, and Luke was the one that wrote the book of Acts. But look at that little ninth word in verse 10. The word is we. It says, immediately we sought. Y'all, that is Luke's way of telling us that, letting us know that he just joined their little missionary party in Troas. So he tells us, Luke does, he says, we sought and we concluded. And that word concluded in that verse, in the original language, it implies that all these men, these four guys, they discussed it, they, they reasoned through it, and they considered everything that had happened, everything that had happened. And what had happened was Paul had a vision, Holy Spirit. What had happened was that the Lord worked a strong conviction in their in their hearts and in their minds. And what had happened was the Holy Spirit had shut doors. So they, the four of them, and this is all implied in the language, the word that is used there for concluded. They together concluded that it was all real and that it was all true and that Paul's vision was definitely, beyond a shadow of a doubt, was from God and that God was driving the train and that God was leading and that God was calling. And in fulfilling the commander's intent, they were strongly strongly convicted to keep going. And so we see, the very last thing we see is this. We see an immediate obedience, an absolute, total, immediate obedience to the call. Look at verse 11. It says, so setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace and the following day to Neapolis. So the ESV says a direct voyage. The King James says they came with a straight course. It was a straight course. It was a direct voyage. And, the, and the, the, really the verse speaks for itself. It's like all the languages, there was no time lost. A straight course was set, and those men moved out that day and headed straight there. They, la- they launched out on this mission to, to reach Europe, to penetrate Europe, to, to help Europe in Europe's desperate need, in Europe's search and their need for the Lord and their need for His, His glorious salvation that is only through his son, Jesus Christ. So they were immediately obedient. 
We're going to put a little exclamation mark even on that next week. But I think all of this, it begs maybe several questions, but the, all, these, all these questions are really one question with a little more emphasis in something. So I ask you this, would the whole world already be reached for Christ if every pastor, every shepherd, every leader, every scripture calls a, a pastor a presbyteros, a shepherd, would the world already have been reached for Christ if every person, every pastor that has been called by Jesus to go to, quote, Macedonia, that is to go to the world and preach the gospel, would the world have already been reached for Christ if every one of them had just said, yes, Lord, I'm in, I'm all in, I surrender totally to your will, sign me up, no questions asked. Would the world have already been reached for Christ? Would the world already have been reached for Christ? How about if every believer who had been called to give his life to missions had said, I'm in, I'm all in, yes, Lord, sign me up, I surrender to your will for me to be a full-time vocational missionary for the rest of my life with the world already been reached for Christ. Well, how about if every layperson who had ever been urged to be a little more generous, maybe to give more, to support the gospel, if every one of them had said, yes, I'm in, sign me up, and I'm, and I'm going to give more, would it already be reached for Christ? Would every ear have heard? Every year on the planet, would every year have heard the gospel if every church have laid aside the extravagance and comfort of their own little palaces and programs and concentrated on evangelism as the Lord taught, evangelism done right. If every church, and now I'm talking about local churches, if every church had locked arms with every other local church, with the kingdom in mind, with the kingdom in the crosshairs, right? With Jesus in the forefront. I'm talking about a Methodist church, an Assembly of God church, a Disciples of Christ church, a Church of Christ, a non-denominational church, a Baptist church, a Lutheran church. How about if all of that locked arms together about Jesus. Not about their programs, not about their buildings, not about their denomination, not about theology that is outside of the gospel, because that's what people want to argue about. Would the world have been reached for Christ if all of God's people in a hundred thousand different kinds of churches all worked together for the sake of Christ would it all be over and every year would have heard the gospel? I say yes to that question. And I think, and maybe this is theologically wrong, but I think because that doesn't really happen, that it makes God weep. Because that's what he would want for us to do. And so I guess I'm calling all of us out a little bit today. Well, why would that be? Because every one of us, has, we know the commander's intent. If you have been here more than one Sunday, you have heard the gospel more than one time. The core gospel. You've heard it. You and I know the commander's intent absolutely beyond all shadow of a doubt. Y'all, D-Day, 
June of 1944. Day before D-Day. Everybody know what D-Day is? Amphibious assault on the beaches of Normandy. The day before, you had about 24,000 paratroopers that jumped behind the beaches. You had crazy bad weather. You had all kind of missed drop zones. You had 24,000 metaphorically angry 19-year-olds that landed, most of them, not where they thought they were going to land, not where they were supposed to land. It was chaos. Y'all, it was chaos. 24,000 allied paratroopers, and they land in all these places. But guess what they knew? They knew the commander's intent. They knew no matter where they landed, they had to get to where they had to get. We are in Elgop as the body of Christ, y'all. We're in Elgop that has landed in 2022, and 2022's in chaos. It's in disarray. Some of us are here, and some of us are there, and some of us are way over in Africa, and some of us are way over in China. We're all over the place. But we all know the commander's intent. All of us, we know the commander's intent. And we ought to all be headed in the same place with our arms locked together, serving in the name of Christ, not serving in the name of social justice, no serving in the world, in the community, for the sake of Christ, for the sake of the gospel. All of us heading in the same place. We ought not be arguing over our theological differences. No, we ought to be rallying around the cross. The rally point is the cross. It's not whether you can lose your salvation or not. It's not whether you should be dunked or sprinkled. No. The rallying point is the cross. The rallying point is the gospel. We are unified around the gospel. What, what, what is that? The dead guy went in the grave and he came out alive. I mean, does that not change everything? Does it change everything if you should be dunked or sprinkled? No. A dead guy walking out of a grave alive changes everything. Like, changes everything. And we all kind of got to decide, do we buy that or not? Do we believe that or not? But that, y'all, is the rallying point. And make no bones about it, we are a little group of paratroopers. A little group of paratroopers in a jacked up world that is in desperate need of Christ. Because he can fix, he is like the great fixer of broken things. I don't care if it's a broken marriage, a broken relationship between a son and a father, or, 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 or um, any sort of thing that, it, that is broken, he repairs those broken things. Run to the Father. They sang that song a little while ago. What a beautiful image of the prodigal son of Luke 15. What a beautiful image. Run to the Father. And so what are we rallying around? The bottom line is this, and lots of ways to respond today. I just want to share with you because we can't hear this too much. We rally around the core. And the core is that I'm a sinner, I'm, in, I'm drowning, and I'm in desperate need of the little lifesaver thingy. I need rescuing because I'm broken and I'm a sinner. And I believe that that sin's going to have to be paid for. And I believe that the blood shed on that cross was way plenty more sufficient. It took care of it. 
And I believe that. And I believe that that sacrifice, that man, that God-man that died on the cross went in a grave and he was absolutely heart-stopped, totally, no brain activity, 100,000% dead. And he went in a grave and he came out 100,000% alive. Amen. That provides eternal life for me. Like what? And I don't have to pay for my sin. That's just the best deal ever offered. And so if you if that if if you have not if you have not bought into that, if you have not accepted that, if you maybe not even ever considered it, I'm asking you to consider that today. Y'all let me pray. This is all I want you to do. If, if you've never considered that, thought about it, maybe. If you've never said it, don't go to sleep tonight without thinking about it. And it is as simple as this. Lord, today's the day that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to acknowledge and I'm going to own my own brokenness, my own sinfulness. And Lord, I've always thought of myself as a pretty good guy. But what does that even mean? So, Lord, today's the day that I say I'm really a sinner and I'm really in need. And so, Lord, I do believe that you paid 100% of that penalty on that cross. I do believe it. Lord, today's the day that I do believe that you were dead and buried and came back and rose to life three days later. And that, uh, that affords me the opportunity to be with you forever. And you just need to cry out save me Lord just save me in Jesus name amen listen y'all I, I, I just sometimes it's just you gotta look in the mirror and you gotta have this moment where you're real with yourself I can say all kind of stuff up here. They can sing all kind of songs, Jesus-focused, gospel-centric songs. But the times, but I can't believe for you. I can't believe for my kids. My wife couldn't believe for me. There's a time that comes where you just got to be real with yourself. And I'm saying if, that's, if that moment has never happened for you, sometime today just get alone and just get real with yourself. And ask yourself that question. Ask yourself that question.